throughout Scripture, the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. One of the most common word pictures used to describe the relationship between God and his people. And as I read through Psalm 23 this morning, you see even in the Old Testament, God views his people, the nation of Israel, as his sheep. You'll find places where he talks about appointing leaders as shepherds over his people. And you'll see that same illustration carried over as we're talking about the church and the idea of us as Christians being sheep. And if we are sheep, well, then that means we have a shepherd. And in John 10, where you just heard read, Jesus proclaims that he is the good shepherd, the true shepherd. You see, if you were alive in the time that Scripture was written, and though we still have shepherds today, some of the practices, especially here in North America, are different than they would have been in the Oriental custom of Jesus' day. And at the time Scripture was written, and the idea of what a shepherd would do in the morning, you would wake up, and chances are you would have been sleeping in the gate or the doorway of the fold. The sheep would not have probably been in a barn. They probably would have been in a stone hedge type thing that kept in, a a sheep fold that kept in the sheep. And hopefully the rocks were high enough to keep danger out. But the shepherd slept in the gateway or in the fold, in the opening of the fold, and that kept the evil out, kept wolves from getting in without waking up the shepherd. It kept the sheep inside. They couldn't stray away. And in the morning, you would get up and you would be there for your sheep and you would talk to them. You would call them out. You would lead them out to pasture. It was your job to care for the sheep. It was your job to provide nourishment. It was your job to provide protection, to make sure they had good food to eat, to make sure they had clean water to drink, to make sure that danger was kept away. And Jesus picks up on this analogy and says that's what he does for his sheep. And then over and over and over throughout the New Testament, that analogy is picked up again. And and the analogy is given such that if Jesus Christ is the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, he has given under-shepherds to local churches, to local flocks. Though the truth is that for every believer who puts their faith and trust in Christ, they are a part of the one true flock with Jesus Christ as the shepherd, that, that reality expresses itself visibly in local churches. And God has given to Shawnee Baptist Church under shepherds, and we as members are sheep who belong to this little local flock. And we have under shepherds or elders, not just myself, there would be myself, Dr. Russ, Steve Tyson, Frank Bicker, who are under shepherds leading this local flock. We have to follow the chief shepherd because we ourselves are one of the sheep, and we're trying to work together to shepherd and provide nourishment and care for the sheep of this flock. So that gives you an idea where our message is going this morning. We're going to look at the church being the flock and that that's comprised of both sheep and shepherds, both the true shepherd, Jesus Christ, but also under shepherds. So as I go through this, let me start. Let me step aside just for a second and give just a few words of introduction before we jump into the message. So the first word of introduction would be this. We're we're getting close to the end of our word pictures of the church series as we've tried to take a few word pictures, a few images, a few analogies that the New Testament uses to help us understand the idea of the church. We're going to have this week, we're going to have next week, and then on November the 11th, so not next week, but two weeks from now, Kevin Rue is actually going to come and put a bit of a wrap on the series. 
going to take some of the things we've covered already and give them uh, a context and a framework to think about. Well, what is it, if, if we're the bride of Christ, if we're a body, if we're a building. And he's going to help think through some of these things and just put a bit of a summary and context, a, a, a lens for you to think through about the church. So I say that simply to say that if you've missed any of the word pictures of the church, the, the audio is available on the website, and I would encourage you to go back and pick up some of these messages because in two weeks, Kevin Rue is going to be somewhat tying together the series, and, and you'll, be, you'll benefit to be able to hear from that. Second, second thing I need to say by way of introduction, by virtue of the fact that a, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about this morning is directed to the idea of under-shepherds or elders in a local flock, there's a sense in which I'm preaching to myself this morning, and to Steve, and to Dr. Russ, and to Frank, and so the reality uh, is, is doesn't mean, that truth doesn't mean that I want the rest of you to check out. This is for all of us this morning to hear and to listen. And though, though, though certainly, as I've even studied it this week, the weight of the weightiness of the charge that will be to us as elders is significant, but significant also for you as the sheep. You see, the New Testament gives you the responsibility to recognize and affirm the elders that God has given as gifts to his local church. We're just a few months away from where every, every year, annually, we select out of our membership who will be the elders, who will be the deacons in our church. And so for you this morning, this helps give you a framework of, well, this is what you ought to be expecting of your elders as you pray through who has God given to this church as elders. This will hopefully help give you a context, so don't check out even though some of it is not directed at you. The truth is, is that going through the nominating process and the voting process that we will in a few weeks, that does not make elders. It simply affirms them, and we as the members call out and recognize, yes, these are the men that we think God has gifted to lead our church, and so you have, you as church member, as sheep, have a huge responsibility in selecting and affirming those elders. So while some of the application is directed to the four of us this morning, it's very, very relevant and applicable to you. Third thing that I want to say just by way of introduction this morning, obviously then the flip side, if there are shepherds who are supposed to lead, then that means there are sheep who are supposed to follow, and we'll talk about that this morning, and some of the application will tie in specifically in the way of church membership, and what it means to be a member of a local flock like Shawnee Baptist Church. So I want to just say this because uh, there have been many of you that have come to me over the last weeks and said, over the last months, and said, we're ready for membership, what's the next step of that process? And so while I talk about membership this morning, I don't want anyone to feel guilty as in like, uh-oh, we're still not a member and he's preaching to me. If anyone feels guilty this morning, it's me. I recognize, I've been telling you, those of you that have come to me, I, I've said, we're, we're in the process of putting new member classes in place. In, a, in, in just hopefully a short while, you hear some announcements about what those dates are. And so I've been talking with the elders over the last months. And in the tyranny of the urgent and never enough time to get enough things done, I just simply haven't got the new members' classes finished and given it the attention it needs and haven't been able to announce the dates. We're working on it. Thank you for those of you that have been patiently just expressing your, your desire to join. We appreciate that. We are working, as, uh, and I want to get that in, in, in place so that this process isn't held up any longer. So don't think of this morning as a guilt trip. If you're not a member, think of this morning as like the intro to the new members' class. 
class. Some of the teaching that we go into here will help as we get some of those classes laid out, and that'll be the first step for those of you that do desire to join, and we continue that. All right, I think I finished my introduction. We can get back to John 10 and the idea of us as sheep and Christ being our shepherd. So I want to go to John chapter 10, and I want to start reading. And in the first five verses, Jesus is speaking almost in parable form. And John doesn't record too many of the parables like some of the other Gospels do. So this is one of the few places where, where John records some of Jesus' teaching. And in five verses, he's going to give this account of what a shepherd does. And then he's going to explain some of it. And so I want us to walk through it together. Because if the church is like a flock... From this passage, what I want you to see is the gathering of the flock and the work that Jesus does to call together the sheep and to gather the sheep and to make the sheep his own and to have the sheep follow him. Look at John chapter 10 and verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's put this in context just a little bit, and let me come back to the story that I told you. If you were an oriental shepherd in the day, and you woke in the morning, and you went to see your sheep, they would know you. They would have a comfort with you. It was your job to lead them to nourishment. It was your job to know the sheep well enough that you knew which ones were eating well you knew which ones weren't eating well. You observed that. You knew them well enough to know when something was wrong. Did they need attention? Was there an injured limb? Was there some type of uh, irritation in their wool? Was there some type of danger present among the flock? And it was your job to know them. And that was the shepherd's job. But if someone else entered the fold, well, they wouldn't know that shepherd. They wouldn't know the sheep, and more than likely, the sheep would be afraid of them. If someone else entered the fold and tried to lead them out, they wouldn't follow, and the sheep would not be well cared for. In fact, it would represent a danger to the sheep. What is Jesus trying to say? In context here, as John is unfolding the story, Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's just finished a, a big confrontation with some of the religious leaders of the day. Some of the Pharisees and those that were leaders in the Jewish religious system, and, and, and Jesus has confronted them, and they're not happy with him, and Jesus is trying to explain to them why they need to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, why they need to recognize Jesus as the one who will truly call his people. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, listen, some of you, you false religious leaders, you false Pharisees, you're the thief who climbs over the gate. You're supposed to be leading and caring for the people and you are not doing it. And Jesus has come along and says, listen, I'm the true one. I will accomplish what you have failed to recognize and see. And it harkens back to Ezekiel chapter 34. And if, you, if you've seen any of that passage and go back and read it at some point where where the prophet just calls out 
the leaders of God's people, the shepherds of God's people. And he has harsh words for them saying, you were supposed to care for my people and instead you've only fed yourselves. You were supposed to provide protection and you provided, you allowed for attack. And, and so Jesus is putting his finger in the face of the religious leaders of the day and saying, I'm the true shepherd. I am the one who will provide salvation for my people. And that's why then he goes on in verse 7 and he explains some of this further and you're going to pick up some of these truths in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so Jesus is teaching and he wants people to recognize and understand that he alone is the true way of salvation. He is the door. He's the one who can truly bring life. You see, Jesus was teaching to a people and though the time period was different, the setting was no different than us today. All of us, both today and back then, when Jesus were teaching, when Jesus was teaching, all the way to the beginning of human history, mankind faced a problem. Mankind is separated from a righteous and holy God, the creator of the world who is perfect and holy, and yet because you and I in our sin who, who don't want to live under God's rule, who don't, we don't want to follow his instructions for life, we rebel against God and that sin separates us from God and we need a way to be brought back to God. We need a way of salvation. We need a shepherd, a savior, who can give us a right relationship with God. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, that's, that's me. And those of you that are trusting in some of your religious forms and in some of these Old Testament sacrifices and customs as a way that you could somehow earn and work your way to God, he's saying this will never work. And your leaders, your false religious leaders who are teaching you to put your faith in a system of works, they're leading you astray. And Jesus says, I'm the one who actually, I believe this so much that I'm not doing it for any sort of financial gain or benefit to me. Out of love for the sheep, I'm willing to lay my life down. And Jesus would be willing at the end of his life to sacrifice his life on the cross. The one who is only perfect and holy and righteous before God would willingly give up his life 
to pay the punishment not for sins of his own because he was perfect and holy, but to take the place of you and I. And that, that he would in our place lay his life down so that we could be made right with God. And Jesus comes to say, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. And he comes to the fold of Israel. He comes to the, these, these uh, people who were falsely trusting in the wrong system and he says, listen, follow me. Come believe in me. I am the Messiah. And look what he says in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Think of the fold as the structural, uh, the structural visible uh, sheep pen, right? I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to me, and so there will be one flock. Think of the flock as the actual individual sheep. If your Bible translation has fold for the second one, that's not the best translation. It's a different word, and it needs to be flock. And, and Jesus is saying, I have other sheep who aren't of this fold, and, and, and I'm going to call them and they're going to listen to me and there's going to be one flock and I will be the one shepherd. And Jesus is saying that salvation is going to come to both Jew and Gentile, both. And he's saying, I'm going to call these together in one flock and I will have one people. And so here is the gathering of the sheep and Jesus comes onto the scene to say, I am that good shepherd who does the gathering. And so for us this morning, I want you to think about that, that God calls together his sheep and there is a unity together in the universal sense for a while I'm going to be talking about Shawnee Baptist Church as one little local flock but right now I'm zoomed out in the universal sense of what God is doing and, and Rod, Earl Rodmacher says this here is a unity then that not only goes beyond the bounds of the local church and beyond denominational barriers but it also transcends all external organizational unity and find its organic unity in Christ alone. The unity of the flock is determined by a common following of the one shepherd. Not by the erection of a single outward organization. He has one flock, and there is one shepherd today. And Jesus is at work organizing, calling, excuse me, gathering his sheep calling us to salvation. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never come to a place in your life where you realize that your sins separate you from a righteous and holy God, and there's nothing that you can do to earn and work your way into a right relationship with God, I would urge you to realize Jesus Christ is your shepherd. He's your Savior. He laid his life down so that you, by faith and repentance, could turn from your sins and trust alone in Christ for salvation. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you to place your faith and trust in Christ and realize that, that Christ's work on the cross provides a payment for your sins that brings you back into a right relationship with God. And then you are one of his sheep. He is your shepherd. And, and, and so not only is the flock gathered, now I want us to think for a few minutes, and we're going to kind of step away from John 10, and we're going to go into a lot of other scriptures that speak about this shepherd flock analogy, both the sheep and the shepherds, and helps us understand. One of the things we need to understand is if we are sheep, if we are a flock, well, who is the owner of the flock? 
Who is in charge of the flock? Who is the chief shepherd, as it were? And you've already heard me say it, but I want you to see it in Scripture over and over in several different places. Just a few verses later in John chapter 10, I want you to see John chapter 10 and verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27 says it this way. My sheep, these are the words of Jesus, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Who's the owner of the flock? Well, it's Jesus. He is the chief shepherd. Look at John chapter 21 and verse 15. I'm going to come back to this passage so that you can get some context, but John 21 verse 15 says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. We're going to come back to this. It's a well-known passage where Jesus calls Peter into his service. But what does Jesus tell Peter? Feed my lambs. Jesus has sheep that he wants Peter to work with. And he doesn't say, go feed your sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. Jesus is the owner. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. You'll see it on the screen. You don't have to go along. We're going to come back and pick up some more of the context of this, but here Peter is giving instructions to elders, to local church pastors, to local church leaders of individual flocks, and Peter says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. I'm going to wait. We'll come back and pick up the rest of the verse. Notice, who does the flock belong to? It's the flock of God. It is God's flock. God is the owner of these sheep. Two verses later in verse 4, 1 Peter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, the instruction is to local church elders, and, and Peter is reminding them that the chief shepherd will one day appear. These elders are under shepherds. The flock belongs to God. Why does the flock belong to God? Why is it that Jesus Christ has ownership over this church and all sheep in his flock? Well, it's because of what you see in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. You'll see me come back to this passage again. We're going to jump all over scripture and keep coming back to the same ones this morning. In this passage, Paul is talking to the group of elders at Ephesus. So he's talking to a plurality, a, a group of elders that are the pastors of the church at Ephesus, and he's giving instructions to them. And there's several verses of instructions, but I just picked out verse 28 because there's something I need you to see in it. We'll come back and pick up a few more of the verses later on this morning. So Paul's charging these elders of the church at Ephesus, and he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus bought his church. He's the chief shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. He obtained or he purchased his flock with his own blood. Therefore, when we talk about the idea of the church being the flock, who is the shepherd? Who's the owner? Who's the one that's in charge? It's Jesus Christ himself because he's bought us with his own blood. We can't forget that. We must never forget that because that's going to have huge implications for the fact that Christ has given under shepherds, elders, pastors, when I'm using those words, I'm talking about the exact same office. Scripture uses the words of, of shepherd, pastor, bishop, 
elder, overseer. I'm using different words there. There's about three in Scripture that we use a few different words to describe. And Scripture uses all of them to refer to the same office, this office of under-shepherd, that really what we're doing is following the chief shepherd. Why is it that Christ is the owner of this flock? Because he's purchased us with his own blood. Robert Saucy said it this way, the threat of the enemy against the life of the sheep was conquered by the good shepherd who gave his own life for the sheep. All of this serves to show the value which God has placed upon the flock, that he might have absolute right of ownership of it. God loves his church. He bought it with his own blood, with the blood of his son. And the fact that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd should encourage us, and it helps us remember who is it that we're following? Who is it that's in charge of this church? Who is it that is in charge of the church? Well, it's Jesus Christ, because he's the chief shepherd. He's the owner of the flock, and we need to have our sights set on him. Now, if Christ is the shepherd, as I already mentioned, he has given under-shepherds, local church pastors, elders, who lead individual flocks. And so here's some of the application that comes out of this. What is the primary task of the elders of the local church? Well, it's to care for the flock. When I use the word care, there's a lot of different words that go into that. The feeding, the nourishment, the protection. Uh, there's more that go into this, but think of it this way, that the elders are to care for the flock that God has put under them. So I want to go to the book of John again, John 21, and you already heard me read one of these verses, and now I'm going to pick up all three verses. Remember, this is, this is when Jesus is giving instructions to Peter, and he wants Peter to, work, to serve the sheep in Christ's absence. He wants Peter to care for the sheep. And so you've often heard this passage in terms of the love relationship. Does Peter truly love Jesus? And that's an appropriate emphasis. But this morning I want to think about it on the repeated command to care for Christ's sheep. John chapter 21 and looking at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, excuse me. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. A different word than was used the first time, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So in the first and third times, he uses the word feed, which actually means to provide food for, but it can also mean to tend or to herd. And the second time, he uses the word tend my sheep or the word shepherd my sheep. He's using the verb form of where we get our noun pastor, the Latin noun of that verb. And he's saying, Peter, if you love me, shepherd my sheep care for them, feed them. What exactly does that look like and mean? It means far more than just providing food for the sheep. It's a very inclusive word of everything that's bound into the picture of what a shepherd does to care for those under his care. So this was when Jesus gave the charge to Peter. We were in John chapter 21. So then Peter's life continues, and I want you to see how Peter passes this charge on. We're going to go to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, and now Peter 
is instructing local church elders. And he's giving them instructions for what it means to shepherd the people. And he's giving them instructions just like Jesus charged him to care for the sheep. And he's saying this, so I exhort the elders among you, the local church pastors in these regions, and there were several that he was addressing, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's what Peter is charging these elders. He says, listen, you, that God has put a flock in your care, and you need to shepherd them, care for them. Don't, not with a domineering rule. The, the authority that God has established within his church is a, is a beautiful authority. Unfortunately for us, we have seen authority so abused and misused that we often think of it in terms of dictatorships and that authority is something to rebel and reject and try to work to seek a way around. But originally, as God established authority throughout Scripture from beginning to end, the authority that God has prescribed is good. It's not domineering, uh, but it's a loving, it's a good, it's a shepherding, it's a caring, and this needs to be the charge to the elders that, that Paul is, that, excuse me, that Peter is giving, and they need to be examples to the flock. They need to provide nourishment. They need to provide care, just as a shepherd would for all of the sheep in his care. So how does that happen? There's several ways. I won't be able to cover all of them this morning, but primarily, the number one way that happens for the elders of the church is how, how do you feed and care and nourish? Primarily, you do it through the feeding of the flock. Primarily, you do it through the feeding of the flock, through the teaching of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says this. Here, Paul is giving instructions to Timothy, one of the elders at Ephesus. And at this point, Timothy's a young man, and Paul's trying to teach him and train him and make sure he has the instructions. This is what it's going to take for you to be a faithful elder, for you to be a faithful pastor. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. I want to focus on that first phrase, preach the word. As an elder, Timothy's job was to give the word to the people. Why? Why did the people need the feeding of God's word? Well, just three verses earlier, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Timothy said this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What is the task of the elders in the local church? It's to feed the people with God's word. We're not taking you out to grass pastures. We've been given the luscious grass pasture, the living word of God, and we as a people need to be feasting on it. And the elder's job and instruction is to be feeding the people with it. Now, this is not your primary meal on a Sunday morning when I preach. You better be in this word on your own. God has given it to you to read and uh, to understand and to know, and you are entirely capable of understanding it yourself. And yet still, the churches gather to hear the word and instruction. 
And, and then the elder's job is even to, uh, I'll get to it in just a second, but to be able to instruct the church in sound doctrine. Robert Saucy said this, primary among the shepherd's task was the provision of nourishment for his sheep. Christ, the chief shepherd, also makes provision for the spiritual nourishment of his sheep. This feeding is done through the ministry of the word. And that's why you see in the requirements for elders that elders uh, are able to teach. It's one of the only places, in, it's the only requirement that is related to a skill or ability. Every other requirement for an elder is related to character. And the only one that's related to skill or ability is able to teach. And it doesn't mean that every elder needs to be able to teach at the preaching level like this, but certainly every individual elder would need to have a comfort level with God's word such that they're able to instruct at least at the one-to-one -one level and explain God's word and provide instruction in it so that the sheep are being fed the truth of God's word. I look forward in a few weeks to being able to get back to what I would prefer to do in preaching, that we would systematically work our way through books of scripture, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and that'll be our primary diet as a people, that we, we want to know and understand God's word, and we want to be fed it. And so that's, that's the instruction of the elders, is to guard that teaching. When I say guard that teaching, that takes me into a second area then. It's not just the providing of teaching, but it's even the protection of the flock. It, it's to be able to provide, uh, uh, it's to be able to provide um, true teaching. And so I want to give you some examples then in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, again, this is when Paul was addressing the, the Ephesian elders. And I already read verse 27, but here's a few more verses in context of this area. And as Paul has recounted uh, his, his own time there, now he gives some instructions to these elders. And he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30 says this, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw them away, to draw away the disciples after them. Over and over and over, what was the concern of the New Testament writers as they instructed New Testament local churches? They were worried about false teachers creeping in from the outside and rising up from within. And he's, he's, Paul is saying, listen, after I go away, there's going to be grievous wolves that come in, and they're going to start teaching twisted false doctrines. And, and the job of the elders was to provide that protection. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, which I don't have for you, if you were to read the first 13 verses of 2 Timothy 3, if you were to read the first three verses of, second, of 1 Peter 2, you see those writers talk about times when when danger is creeping in, when false teachers are arising, when people are being led astray. And it was the job of the elders to, to guard that. That was the protection of the flock, of saying this is what is true and helping the congregation understand these false theologies are out of bounds. That's why then in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, as Titus is in giving instructions as, um, excuse me, Paul giving instructions to Titus. It's Paul giving instructions to Titus saying, you need to put things in order there in Crete. And Paul instructs Titus and say, this is what an elder needs to be. And you've got a whole other list of requirements for elders. And Paul is telling Titus, listen, this is what's important. You need to have elders who 
must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. It was very important that the elders would be able to protect and say, no, that's a false theology, that's false teaching. We need to contradict those and rebuke those who are teaching those things. And so that was the job of the elders to provide that protection. Now I need to keep going for sake of time. I have to skip over a few things. And I want you to think then, not only do the elders protect the flock and provide nourishment for the flock, but there's a significant thing that I think you need to see. Which flock, right? The elders are responsible for which sheep? Who, are, who the elders have that responsibility and oversight for? So I want to come back to some of the same verses that you've already seen me read. We'll pick up one new one, but First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 says it this way. So remember, Peter is instructing some local church elders, and he says it this way, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 3 says it this way, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So there was a group of people that Peter is presuming is among these local church elders. That's the flock they're supposed to be protecting. That's the flock that's under their charge. I want you to see the same thing from Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Here Paul's instructing the local church elders at Ephesus. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there was a special group that the elders needed to pay attention to. There was a flock that had been entrusted to their care. I want you to see the same concept in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 says it this way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm going to stop right there. We can stay on this verse because I'm going to pick up the rest of it in a second. So here, the instruction is to the sheep, and it's saying, submit to your elders, your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Now, Dr. Russ, Steve, Frank, myself, we someday will be held accountable by God. We will be held accountable to God for the sheep that he has placed in our flock. Which ones? Are all Christians everywhere accountable to me and the local elders of Shawnee Baptist Church? If a Christian walks through our doors for one Sunday, are we accountable for them? For four Sundays, will we, will we be held accountable to them? If someone's on our membership roll and we see them twice a year, will we have to give an account to them? These are heavy, weighty questions, and I won't answer all of them for you this morning, but you've heard me say before that you will not find the word membership in the New Testament. However, what you also will not find, you will not be able to accomplish some of the, the requirements of the New Testament local church without something like what we use membership for. And I think membership in our context helps us to understand, well, well this is who we as elders will be held accountable for. Our flock is the ones that God has given to us that we've committed ourselves together to fulfill the, the, the New Testament commands of a local church right here at Shawnee. And I think that's a helpful barometer for us to think about who is it. So no, you as a sheep don't have to submit to every single person who bears the office of elder in every church around the world. You have to submit to Jesus Christ. He's the chief shepherd. He's given you instructions for his word 
and he's delegated that authority to the local church elders of the local flock of which you partake. And so there's the understanding of this local flock, but then this works both ways, and I've already picked up on some of it. And the idea of the flock has to then follow its leaders. Who are we following? We're following Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has put under shepherds in charge of the local church. And that's why then the author to the Hebrews says it this way, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so you, as sheep, as a flock are called to submit to and follow the elders of the local church that you are a part of. And, and so as we understand that, we realize that it's not, it's not, what I am not saying is that the elders are in charge of your life. It's not what I'm saying. Some, some teachers, some pastors, some churches preach that, and that's not what I'm saying. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, and as he's given instructions for us in his word, he has uh, uh, designed it such that he gives gifts of under-shepherds to each local flock who are instructed and responsible to teach God's word so that we as the people would then follow, and it would be a joy. It would be, uh, there would be safety, there would be health, there would be nourishment, there would be care. And so if you find yourself as someone who has trouble plugging in and committing to a local church and finding different parts of different churches that you like, I would encourage you that I think you will find the healthiest, most consistent pattern in churches is to plug into a local flock, into a visible expression of what we know is the universal true reality and live life with those sheep and follow those elders who are faithful in teaching God's word. And I think that's where you will see God's health played out in the life of a local church. So these are big, weighty matters. There is a lot of responsibility for us as elders of a local church, for you as sheep and members of the flock. But through it all, the greatest joy is that Christ himself as the chief shepherd, as the good shepherd, as the true shepherd, loves his people and cares for us. And he is at work to build his church as the body of Christ, as a building of living stones, as the bride of Christ, as a company of fighting soldiers. He is at work because we are his flock and he is committed to caring for us. He is committed to nourishing us. He's so committed to it that he sent his son to lay down his life for his sheep, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, who purchased us with his own blood. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you, as our Savior, our true shepherd, chief shepherd, the good shepherd, were willing to lay down your life for us, your people. Father, we thank you for the good gifts that you give to your church in under-shepherds. I pray for myself, for Dr. Russ, for Frank, for Steve, and the, the weighty responsibility of the calling to which you have called us, realizing that we must give an account someday for every one of the sheep that you put in our care. And Father, help us to follow you because we as under-shepherds, as sheep, cannot do this in and of ourselves. We need the good shepherd. We need the chief shepherd. 
And I pray that you would help us in that. Father, I pray for the sheep of this flock that you have given to us here at Shawnee Baptist. May, may you feed them with your word. May you nourish them and care for them and make it a joy for them to follow the God-designed structures that you have placed into this church. Father, thank you for your work amongst us. Thank you for purchasing us with your blood. May we follow you in your care. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.